Good morning and Merry Christmas. Do you approach Christmas with a yawn or a gasp? Do you just shrug, here we go again? Or do you throw up your hands in surprise? Well, remember that he was born in a stable, a stable. And so I suggest that the gasp and throwing up your hands might be more uh, appropriate than a shrug and a yawn. You know, uh, we get so used to this idea that he was born in a stable that it no longer shocks us. We see it in our Christmas artwork. It tends to glamorize the stable. You've seen the artwork. There's a glow, a golden glow coming from the back of the stable. Mary is smiling. Jesus is smiling. The cattle are smiling. Everybody is happy. And you get the idea that being born in a stable was normal uh, in the ancient world. No, it was not normal, just like it's not normal in our world. As I mentioned to Crossbridge a couple weeks ago, this would be like giving birth in the tool shed in your backyard where you keep the lawnmower. And so we approach Christmas, perhaps, with a gasp. He was born in a stable. There were the sounds of animals. There was the smell of the stable. Was the newborn infant poked with sharp straw, even though he was wrapped in cloths. The stable actually might have been a cave. The shepherds in the ancient world would use natural enclosures, uh, caves, for their animals. They might build a wooden uh, porch on the front, a little roof on the front of the cave, but it is possible that Jesus was born in a cave. He came into the world underground. Why? Well, somebody says maybe he was the victim of circumstance. Maybe, you know, the new taxation system was in place and they were taking a census to make sure they got everybody paying their taxes. So Joseph had to travel from his home in Nazareth about a hundred miles to his, to his ancestral home of Bethlehem. The roads were crowded, lots of people traveling, lots of people clogged the narrow streets. The hostel was full and there was no place for Mary when the time of her birth arrived. It's just the way it worked out, right? Just as a victim of circumstance. Nobody's to blame. Mary and Joseph and Jesus were the victim of circumstances. But hang on, because the Bible says that God is sovereign. That means he's in charge. Uh, later on in life, Jesus would say, nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And the same could be said for this birth. He chose to be born in a stable. It was part of God, his Father's will. And the question we're asking is, why? 
After all, if Christianity is true, if this story, this doctrine of Jesus is true, wouldn't you uh, expect that if God were to invade the earth, that he would shut up, uh, set up a headquarters on a mountaintop? He would be born in a palace, perhaps. Or if he had to come as an infant, then why not be born in a temple? Our Christmas hymns pick up on this doctrine, this story. It's called the Incarnation. For example, uh, O come all ye faithful, one of the words, uh, one of the verses says, Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. In flesh appearing, to be incarnated. O come, all ye faithful, picks up on that, and hark the herald angels sing does also. One of the verses says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail to the incarnate deity. Pleased as a man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. So if this doctrine this story of the Incarnation is true. If God has invaded the earth as a man, as a baby, why be born in a stable? Our scripture reading for today tells us why. Maybe he was born in a stable to identify with us in the real world. And not just not just any part of the real world, but the lowest part of the real world, a cave, a stable. Was there even a midwife present? Dorothy Sayers was a British author, and she says this, For whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. So he came, the incarnation, born in a stable, to identify with us even in our lowest estate. He came to sympathize. Here's our scripture, Hebrews chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't this a beautiful scripture text? The first implication I see here is, as I've already said, he sympathizes 
with our weaknesses, with our low estate. Verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, what are you going through? He went through it. Are you tired? He knew about tiredness. Do you lack money? He knew all about that. Are you under stress? He knew about stress. I saw in one of the news magazines uh, years ago, U.S. News and World Report, on a typical day, 55% of American men say they feel stress. And during the holidays, that percentage goes down. On a typical day, 60% of American women say they feel stress. And during the holidays, that percentage goes up. <laughs> you women are saying, yes, uh, that is true. <laughs> but what are you going through? Stress with your family? So, is someone lying about you? They lied about him. Are you tempted? He was tempted. He went through it also. He came into the real world. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. Christianity is not a fairy tale religion. It equips us for life's circumstances here and now. It gives us resources for living. And it all starts with our teacher, our rabbi, our guide, our Lord, who was born <laughs> in a stable. I wonder if you remember the movie uh, Apollo 13. It's a true story of Apollo 13. The astronauts encountered one problem after another. You remember Houston, we have a problem. The oxygen runs low, the temperature drops in their space capsule, the guidance system malfunctions, and so the team on the ground in Houston get to work to solve their problems. And they put an astronaut, who not one uh, circling the Earth, but they put one of the other astronauts into a sim, into a simulator, to try to figure out solutions for their problems. As the astronaut enters the sim, he says, okay, turn off the lights, turn off the heat, somebody give me a flashlight. And someone says, well, you're not gonna be able to work in, uh, in those conditions. And he replies, don't give me anything they don't have up there. If I'm going to find a solution to their problems, I have to be encountering their problems in a way that uh, we can figure this out. Don't give me anything they don't have up there. Our Lord Jesus in the Incarnation said, don't give me anything they don't have down there. Hebrews 4 puts it this way, he sympathizes. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So the first implication of the incarnation is that he sympathizes with us. But the Christian story goes further because the king of heaven not only um, feels with us and sympathizes, he also came to intercede 
We see that in our passage when it calls Jesus the high priest. To intercede means to stand between or to go between. Jesus stands between us and God his Father. To intercede means to produce agreement, to step in in, a, in an altercation. A few years ago, I was teaching a public speaking class, and it was time for the students to give their speeches. They had signed up early in the semester for the day that they would be speaking, so they knew what their day was. They knew when they would speak. And so I called upon a student. It was his day, but he wasn't ready. This produced a little tension between him and me and with the class. I said, well, I'm sorry, but this is your day. You signed up for it. And the student looked guilty and he looked sorrowful. But then another student spoke up and she said, I could take his place. I'm signed up for next week, but he could have my spot next week and I could take his place today. She delivered him. She saved him. She interceded. She came between his failing and his righteous judge. You know what I mean. She made peace and found a solution. And that's what Jesus did. He took our place. So picture this scene in heaven. The righteous father sees our weaknesses. He sees our sins and he says, I love them but they have done wrong. They must bear the consequences of their choices. Hmm. No, I have another plan. And he calls his son, his beloved son, and he says, son, I want you to go to earth. I want you to be born of a woman. I want you to be born <laughs> in a stable. I want you to reveal me. I want you to be my word, my message. I want you to reveal how much I love them and how strict are my laws and how deep is my mercy for those who fear me. So I want you to dwell among them in perfect submission to me and then to die. Not because you deserve death, but because you will be dying for their sin. I appoint you as high priest to intercede once and forever. Son, will you go and sacrifice? And the son says, yes. Your will is mine. I delight to do your will. So he was born in a stable. You know the story. He went around doing good. He laid down his life like a lamb. God saw the anguish of his soul and his perfect justice and his perfect love were both fully satisfied. Jesus interceded on our behalf. That's the good news. We call that the gospel. 
He sympathizes, yes, and he saves. And it all began in a stable. I have a third implication. This is the last one. Listen to the text again. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. That's the third implication. Hold on to your confession. Say in your heart and say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He is the good shepherd. He is the bread of life. He is the gate by which we enter into his fold. He is the door. He is the vine. We are the branches. He is the living water. He is the resurrection and the life. This is our confession. Whoever believes in him will also rise. Hold fast. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Son of David. He is Messiah, Judge and Master. That's who he is. Don't let go. The world may tell you that he's just a good man or just a good teacher or, you know, a mythical figure. And the invention of somebody's wish fulfillment. That's not what the Bible says. Hold on to your confession. Because if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. This is what we believe. He came into the real world, and so he sympathizes. He came into this real world, to the stable, to intercede for us. Therefore, let us hold fast to our confession. Amen and amen.